All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on 2 Corinthians. In this recording, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. And Paul has just wrapped up his fool speech, as some people call it, where he decided he would join in this game of boasting since it was so important to the Corinthians, but he boasted in all the wrong things. He boasted in his suffering and his weakness and all of that. So he's just wrapped that up in the middle of chapter 12. Now what he does here in chapter 12, verses 14 and following is he turns to directly address the Corinthians in preparation for his own coming to them. Recall that when Paul finally found Titus in Macedonia, he wrote this letter that we call 2 Corinthians, and he sent it with Titus and two others really to encourage full repentance and restoration in the Corinthians, as well as to help them get the offering going and then to challenge those who still opposed him and, and those who looked down on him. And so he sent Titus and two others ahead to kind of get things wrapped up and really pulled together before he himself comes. And so in the next couple of paragraphs here in chapter 12 and then on into chapter 13, Paul just directly addresses the Corinthians and a few final matters that he wants the church to address before he himself arrives. And so that's where we pick up here in chapter 12, verse 14. Here's what Paul says. He says, now here for this third time, I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden to you for I do not seek what is yours, but you couple things to note there out of verse 14, and that's this. Notice he says, the third time I'm ready to come to you. The first time was when he planted the church there in AD 51. The second time was the painful visit that we've talked about in the backstory where he sailed from Ephesus to Corinth to try to deal with some of the issues. It didn't go well. He, he left Corinth feeling shamed and disgraced, went back to Ephesus. Well, now he's planning on coming to them for the third time, and he just wants to make th- sure things are in order before he comes. And he just had said in verse 13, with a little bit of sarcasm, that he wasn't a burden to them when he came. And, you know, forgive me this wrong, right? Well, he's coming again. And he's like, and I don't plan on being a burden to you again. I'm not expecting you to pay my expenses when I come this time either. Because I don't seek your stuff, but you. See, I don't seek what is yours. I don't seek your possessions, your money, your stuff. I want you. And so this whole idea of being a burden has been an issue in their relationship because Paul didn't take patronage the way these detractors who came in from the outside did. And that was the normal way they did it in their culture. But Paul didn't do that. And he had his reasons for not doing that. And he's talked about some of those earlier in the letter. And and for whatever reason, some people feel like, you know, Paul should have done that if he had authority and credibility. He should have done that. Paul's like, no, that's not my way. I wasn't a burden to you. I'm not going to be a burden to you when I come this third time because I don't seek what is yours, but you. In fact, it's like a child-father relationship, Paul says. And so Paul's the one that ought to provide for them. Look at the second half of verse 14. After saying, I don't seek what is yours, but you, Paul says, for, explaining, children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And that's the kind of relationship we have. I'm like your spiritual father, and you're not responsible to save up for me. I'm responsible to provide for you. And so he says in verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Again, this is really getting at those who have, you know, 
put Paul down and said that, you know, Paul really isn't acting properly by not taking patronage, by not taking money from them, which seems so backwards maybe in our mind, but in their cultural values, this was an issue. And uh, Paul says in verse 15, look, I will spend myself, I will expend myself for your souls, for your lives, for your well-being. And in Paul's mind, that's an expression of his love for them. And so he says, if I love you more, should I be loved less for that? And the anticipated question, Paul says is, well, no, of course not. Just think about it. And then he says in verse 16, but be that as it may, like whatever you think about that, I didn't burden you myself. And nevertheless, devious person that I am, again, a little sarcasm, I took you in by deceit. And again, these are all just part of the accusations being made against Paul, the way his detractors are trying to speak against him in the church, accusing him of deceiving them, accusing him of taking advantage of them, accusing him of, you know, but why did you take patronage? There's just this mix of accusations, and Paul is just kind of poking fun at that. And then he says in verse 17, not only did he himself not burden them, but none of his co-workers he sent to them you know, it took advantage of them or burned them in any sort of way. Look at verse 17. He says, certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I've sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go. I sent the brother with him. Titus didn't take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? So Paul's whole point is not only himself, but his ministry team, they all acted the same way. Just, he's basically saying, tell me, in what way did we ever deceive you or take advantage of you? We never did. Not me, not Titus, not the people I sent with Titus. None of us have been ever in any way taking advantage of you. Then he says in verse 19, All this time you've been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and it's all for building you up, beloved. In other words, Paul's like, I conduct my ministry before God, under God, and I operate in his sight. And I know I'm, I'm doing what's right in his sight. And so I'm really, in some regards, not really defending myself at all. What I'm really trying to do is to build you up, to help you realize who I really am and what real genuine ministry looks like so that you'll actually be built up in the way of Christ. And a part of that is repairing their relationship, restoring their relationship and bringing them back together. And so Paul says in verse 24, I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not what I wish and may be found by you not what you wish. What Paul really wants is for the relationship between them to be right. And he's afraid that when he comes, some of them will still reject him because he's not this high and mighty glorious apostle that they really want. And he's afraid that some of them will be acting contrary to the way of Jesus. And he actually goes on to describe and when he says that I might not find you what I wish. Like he goes on to list off some of the things he's afraid he might find when he shows up there in Corinth and he doesn't want it to be this way. And so he says in the second half of verse 20 that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, selfishness, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. Like these are the kinds of things uh, I found before when I came that second time. I'm afraid there's still going to be some of that. That's not right. That's not the way it wants to be. And so he says in verse 20, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. I'm guessing what he means is like that second visit, the painful visit, when there was disgrace and humiliation and conflict and turmoil. 
and it didn't go well. And he was like, I'm just afraid that's what I'm going to find. And it, it shouldn't be that way. And so he says, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and haven't repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and indecent behavior which they, pra- which they practiced. And so Paul's afraid that when he comes, he's going to find this stuff and it shouldn't be there. And uh, and he's going to have to mourn over all of that. And there's still going to be all this dysfunction and all this relational tension and all this strife. And he doesn't want it to be that way. And so he's just being very frank and very honest in preparation for his coming. I want you guys to get your act together so we don't have another experience like the last time I came. I want you to get your act together so that you're actually walking in the way of Jesus so that we don't have all this difficulty. One really important observation there in the second half of verse 20 and into verse 21 is that Paul just assumes this kind of stuff will be put behind them, right? Like the gossip, the arrogance, the jealousy, the angry tempers, the selfishness, the sexual morality, the impurity, all that stuff is just going to be put behind them. And this is actually very consistent in Paul. Paul assumes that in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, Christians can and will live genuinely holy lives, that sin can and will become the exception and purity and holiness will become the norm, and that these things are increasingly put off. And Paul uses that language in his letters quite a bit. And here to the Corinthians, he's just assuming that this stuff shouldn't be there, and it should be minimal if there at all, right? And it should be put behind them. And we need to pay attention to that, to recognize that the normal uh, Christian life, the normal way God's people act is not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And that we, we aren't people marked by jealousy and selfishness and gossip and slander. We aren't people marked by impurity and sexual immorality. Those things are exceptions, not the norm. There are exceptions that are to be repented of and called out. And so here, Paul is saying to the, the Corinthians, before he comes, he's like, I'm afraid this stuff is still going to be there like it was the second time I came. I don't want it to be there. It ought not to be there. You guys need to actually get rid of this stuff. And so this is an implicit call to repentance uh, and changing their behavior before Paul arrives. And it really is a reminder to us that holiness is the norm for God's people. That holiness ought to characterize the way we do life. And holiness entails not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with others. That love, joy, peace, the kinds of virtues that the Spirit produces are deeply relational and communal virtues so that holiness affects not only our personal relationship with God, but also our corporate relationship with each other. And Paul is deeply concerned about that for the Corinthians here, and he's also concerned about that in our churches as well. And so, We ought to be people uh, individually, but also collectively in our churches who are walking with God and who are not characterized by the kinds of things that Paul lists off here in verse 20 and 21. All right, thanks for tuning into this session on the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by your generous support. So thanks a ton for your support. If you want to join the team of supporters, Swing over to listenerscommentary.com, click the Give button, and you can set up a one-time or a monthly recurring donation. You can also support this ministry through the Study Hub. 
all monthly donors, either way you support, all monthly donors get access to bonus materials inside the hub, to some online courses, to pictures and charts and maps and things that will help you dig in and study the text for yourself so that you can learn and live the Bible. Thanks a ton for your support.